Grab your Bible and something to take some notes with today uh, as we study God's Word together. If you prefer uh, a fill-in-the-blank version, you want me to tell you what to write down, you can pull up the Victory Harvest Church app um, on the app stores. Uh, Download it really quick. We have really good Wi-Fi. And so if you're on your phone, I'm going to assume you are downloading the app. Come on, somebody. It's going to be amazing. And you can fill in the blank, have all the verses and things we'll reference today as we study God's Word. We're kicking off a brand new series called Bon Voyage. Come on, somebody. Because I thought I was going through a bunch of vacation terms because I thought this is the week where only Louisiana is on vacation. Come on, get amen in God's house. Like we get, we get our own vacation. We get our own school break. It's amazing. And so I was thinking through, we should have a sermon series on vacation. So I'll try to figure out a couple of words. Then I realized it's just us. So why not a French term? Come on, somebody. It's just going to be, it's just Louisiana all the way today. So Bon Voyage is our new series. And I was thinking through this idea of vacation. Because uh, I think that word means something different for every person. Like when I say the word, and I realized this this week, everybody thinks of things. And some people think of a vacation that would be so incredibly tiring to other people who think of a vacation as like, I just sleep at home the entire time. And some people are like, I go 90 to nothing because I got to stuff everything in. So I thought I'd take a quick poll today. Show of hands. How many of you, you would say like vacation to you or your family, you would say vacation is like a road trip. Like we hit the road every time there is a vacation. Not that many, right? They're on the road trip right now, right now on the vacation. Those of you watching online, you just go ahead. And tell. I mean, like you just think like when we have a vacation, we get in the car. I don't spend money on flights or trains or ships. I, I, nothing like that. Vacation for me is we go on the road. How many of you would just say that's your family? Yeah, in college, we would like, we went crazy with the road trips. Like that was our thing. Like we would try to calculate. We got two days. We can make it to Canada. Come on, somebody. Like we can... We can get there and back. No bathroom breaks, no stopping, like nothing. If we make it, and we'll get back like 10 minutes before our class starts after the break. It would be amazing. It would be our thing. How many of you are like, forget the road trips. I fly. I fly everywhere. That's just what I, yeah, all right, there we go. Like, why spend 86 hours in the car when you can just arrive and spend all the time at the place? You're like, flights, baby. That's where it's at. Some of you, you're like, camping. Camping is our vacation. That's what you think when I say that. Anybody? Like, you got the tents. Forget that. You're like an RV. I pull the RV out there in the woods and glamping. How many of you are glampers that you're just out there? Right. So that's, that's where you're just like, hey, we spent time, five bucks for my spot in the RV park, and then it's the rest of it is free. Forget those hotel fees. How many are like, that's all great, but the real money is in the staycation. Come on, baby. How many are just like, yeah, there's my people, right? You just, you just spend, you're thinking like, forget moving, hide the car in the garage so the neighbors don't know you're there, and spend three days in bed. That's just, that's a vacation. Yeah, amen in God's house. That's what, that's, that's what we, vacation means something to everybody. So I thought when we're kicking off this vacation season, this one that only we get, and it's special just for us, I thought we would do a series based on some spiritual vacation. We're going to take a little bit of a spiritual rest the next few Sundays. And we're going to talk a little bit about what might look like if we're going to get in the car or get on the plane or get on the ship or have the steak, whatever it is it might look like. We're going to walk through that kind of as our analogy for the series this week. And so this first Sunday, I want to talk to you a little bit about some indicators that it may be time for a vacation. Maybe some indicators. Some of you are like, Pastor, I don't need that. It's always time for a vacation. Just, I'm going to talk a little. Next week, we're going to get into how you have to have your destination set. How you have to have to basically have to know where you're going if you're going to have one of these things. And maybe you're the type that just gets out there and wanders. But my wife told me we can't have vacations like that anymore. And so we have to know where you're going. 
had to have. And back when I was in college and we would do the road trips, we had this little piece of paper with squiggly lines all over it that could help you get there. It was called a map, everybody. And so we got lost a whole lot. So praise God for Google Maps today. I'm not, I'm not against it in any sense of the word. I'm throwing all my maps in the trash in 2007. And so it's just an amazing, amazing time for us. But we have to know where we're going. And the Bible has a lot of things to say about setting our destination and what we do on the way there. We'll talk about that next Sunday. And then in week three, we're going to talk about how the journey's not sweet because of where the destination is. The journey's sweet because of who's along for the ride. We're going to talk about relationships in our life and how we pick and choose who's allowed to speak and to influence us. We'll talk about that week three. Today, though, I do want to talk about indicators that it may be time for a trip. Maybe time to take a vacation, maybe time to take a little bit of a break, because I believe there is a rhythm to the life that we live. There is a rhythm to what God has called us to do. And so in our own lives, there are some indicators that maybe we are headed for a burnout instead of the destination we actually thought we were headed to. And so there's some indicators we can pick up on that maybe it's time for a rest. And so we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19 today. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you want to. We're going to study a guy by the name of Elijah. So let me set up the story for you before we get there. Uh, Before we get to our passage, Elijah is the prophet for the nation of Israel at this moment. So he's the one that would hear from God and then go tell the people what God is saying, which is a really big problem for Elijah because the people aren't that interested in what God is saying at this time in history. Like they haven't walked completely away from Yahweh, the true God, but since they're in the promised land, they've decided that they need to mix other little G gods of the land that they're in. They decided that in this season, they already worshiped Yahweh on their way to the promised land. And so now that they're there, they have to switch everything up. And honestly, this is a theological term called syncretism. This idea uh, that you would mix a lot of different religions all together in order to try to serve and to appease each and every one. And it's not too dissimilar. Israel goes from serving Yahweh, arrive in the promised land, and now they'd want to serve the gods of those lands. And so it's the god of Baal and Asherah, these gods. And so it's not too dissimilar to some things that we do. Because I think sometimes we pray and we seek God for a miracle or an answer from God and we get into seasons of life and he answers and he sends a miracle or he moves in our life. And somehow we start to worship the thing that was given in the season instead of God. And so the Israelites decide, well, Yahweh, he's the God of the desert and the God of power. But now that we're here, we need to worship these gods. They're the God of fertility, the God of the seasons, and the God of the rain. And so we need to make sure that our crops are good. We need to make sure we worship those, which understandably makes the real God very upset. You understand how this works. And so it should have Israel like, hey, he brought us here, but now we're going to worship all these other things that are part of the land that he even gave us. And so the real God speaks through Elijah, Yahweh, tells the people of Israel, okay, you want to have it that way, then I'll prove to you that Asherah and Baal are not the God of the rain or the God of the seasons. It's not going to rain for years. And so Elijah announces to them, you want to, you want to syncretize, you want to have this in your life. Here's what's going to happen. Yahweh, the true God, is going to prove it to you. And so it doesn't rain. Now, it doesn't rain for like a month. Now, it doesn't rain for like three months. Like they just have a burn ban and then it rains again. No, no, it doesn't rain for years. And so you can imagine for a agrarian society, they have set up shop. This is a disaster. The economy goes down the tubes. It's raining. Crops are not growing. There's a famine in the land. And so Elijah has declared this for multiple years. And all of this culminates in this massive showdown. Because Elijah has declared it, but there's a king over Israel at this time. His name is King Ahab. But he's kind of a weenie. And so he... 
abdicates all of his control to his wife Jezebel, and she takes over, Queen Jezebel. And they decide to kill all of the prophets of God and institute their own false prophets. So there's about 850 false prophets running around in the land. And so Elijah calls all of them to a showdown after the famine has lasted for years. And he's like, okay, meet me at Mount Carmel, this mountaintop, and we're going to decide forever. You decide to worship all the different gods. I know who the true God is. Let's have the showdown. So they meet on Mount Carmel. And the idea of it, I love the idea of the showdown, because we just gloss over this in our Bibles all the time. They meet, and the way they're going to decide which God is real is they're going to try to call fire down from heaven. You think about this. Like, it, I, I, not rain. Like, forget about that part of it. They want fire. They've been in the drought. They've been in the famine. Like, why not ask the God? I don't know. It's just a detail we have in the Bible. But they decide for fire to come down. And so Elijah's a gentleman. He lets the prophets of Baal go first. And so they're dancing around trying to call fire. They have a sacrifice set out there, an altar. And they're dancing and cutting themselves and screaming at the sky and trying to dance. And while they're doing this, while they're going first, about midway through it, Elijah pipes up and he starts talking trash to him. Come on, somebody. And he's like, shout louder. Maybe your God is taking a nap. Maybe your God's out on a trip somewhere. I don't know. Maybe your God's. And then he looks at me. He's like, and maybe your God is in the bathroom. Come on, somebody. It's the Bible. You can go read it for yourselves. And they shout louder. And so the next time that you play sports with me and I start talking trash, just know it's not. Yes, it is because I'm competitive and I want to win. But it's also because I am deeply spiritual. Come on, somebody. And biblical. Because Elijah teaches us that people of God talk trash. Come on, somebody. We talk. We <laughs> so he's talking smack to him and they're screaming louder and dancing around. And of course, nothing's happening. And so then it's Elijah's turn. He steps up to the plate and he prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he sends fire from heaven, consumes the altar. And all of the people of Israel are standing there watching this. And they're like, oh, we missed it. Like, yes, okay, Yahweh is the true God. You see this fire come from heaven. And so they chase down these 850 false prophets, put them to death, and revival breaks out in the land. Incredible things are happening in Elijah's life. This is like the pinnacle. Like incredible stuff is going on. Revival breaks out. And then as if this isn't enough, then Elijah prays and God sends rain. And there's rain that falls from heaven. This is like the pinnacle. Everything has culminated in this point. This amazing moment. The prophets of Baal have been put to death. Revival's breaking out. Elijah prays. God sends rain. God's already sent fire. The children of Israel realize Yahweh is the true God. And this is where we pick up the story. Because if I was writing this story, this is, like, this is like the crescendo to the end. This is like the amazing moment where everything goes right. But the story takes an interesting turn. First Kings chapter 19. And I think we can learn a lot from what happens to Elijah in this moment. So watch this. Now Ahab told Jezebel, we know she's like the most wicked chick to ever live. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. You killed my prophets, now I'm going to kill you. And watch Elijah's response. The guy who just called down fire from heaven. 850 prophets destroyed. Showdown on top of Mount Carmel. His response is interesting. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he comes to the city. He leaves his servant there while he himself goes a day's journey into the wilderness. This is right afterwards. Don't let the chapter kind of like throw you out. This is directly after. Into the wilderness, came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. 
That's it. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. You think this is a little extreme, right? Like this is, this is disconnect from chapter 18. Elijah has just had this victory. He's just had all these things. And he's sitting under the broom bush like a day and a half later, whatever it is, two days later. He's sitting under the broom bush, this massive bush for the shade. And he's praying, Lord, take me. I'm no better than anybody who came before. Just let me die. It's a little bit of overreaction, don't you think? Like just a little. Like Elijah didn't need to die. Elijah needed like... A vacation in the beach somewhere. Like Elijah needed like feet in the sand. Elijah didn't need to die. Elijah needed a nap. Come on, somebody. Those of you who have toddlers, you ever see when they overreact, you ever like realize you don't need like all this. You need a nap. That's what you need. Anybody who acts like that must immediately go to sleep. That's just a rule for you parents. I'll just, I'll just help you a little bit. Elijah didn't need to die. Elijah needed to go to like Disney World or something. This is, this is a moment where he is letting his emotions take control of his life. And the truth is some of you are in a place where you, have, you feel like life is over, life has passed me by, things are too much for me, this is too much for me to handle. When Honestly, and you're like, I just want to give it all up. I'm, just, I'm in a place where I, nothing is ever going to get better. And the truth is, you just need a break. Like, you just need a little bit of rest. Because I think this is something we don't talk enough about in church. We talk about go, 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 and do, do, do. We talk about all these things, but we don't talk about rest very often. And some of you are at the very end of your rope thinking, this is enough. I'm no better than the ones who came before me. I'm done, God. Give me up. When you don't need to quit, what you need is a nap. What you need is a little bit of a break. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what happens. Because I think for some of you, like Christmas vacation was supposed to be the break. Or before that summer was supposed to be the break. Or the Christmas before that was supposed to be the break. What happened was you spent the whole week in December like doing twice as much work. And going twice as many places. And doing ten times the work while your kids are like swinging from the ceiling fans or whatever it is. And you got back to work and people thought like, oh, you had a break. So it's time to put pedal to the metal. And they can't fathom why you're already burnt out in February. And some of you, you don't need to quit. You don't need to give everything up. You just need a rest. You've kind of let this thing go. And I want to show you a few things that are happening in Elijah's life here that we see that I think could be applicable. Some warning signs. Because I heard a pastor one time say, like, avoid the burnout while you're still heading towards it. Like, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. And so I just want to let some of you off the hook this morning and let you know there are some indicators that maybe you've got to take a break. That maybe you need to take a little bit of a rest, a little bit of a season to recharge. And we're going to see them in Elijah's life before we ever get under the broom bush where we're calling out in the last desperate vestiges of this thing. And then we're going to spend the last few moments we have together talking to what the Bible says we can ultimately do to fix this. The things God has given us already that we just need to put in place to fix this thing. All right, first thing, if you're taking notes, jot it down. The first thing Elijah was is he was tired. Like physically tired. We're going to be practical in a lot of areas today, all right? Elijah was physically tired. And the first thing that happens to us when you are headed towards a breakdown is you just get tired. And I get it. Like life is hard. Like anybody who tells you different is selling you something. Come on, somebody. Like life is difficult. Life is hard. And we get exhausted. There are demands and pressures on every single one of you. If you're in school, there are incredible demands that are put on you week after week. If you're working to provide, there are demands put on you. If you take care of your family at home, there are demands and pressures and things that wear on you. And so many of us are so tired. If you look at Elijah, honestly, you look at all that he accomplished, all of us would be tired. Like he's the one that declared the drought would be in the kingdom of Israel. Like the king Ahab and Jezebel, they know that Elijah's the one that declared it. So he's on the run during the famine. 
Like he's not like getting to stay at home and just try to get everything together. And, you know, he's on the run for his life, trying to find food and hide. And God is with him through in this season. But he is like always running for his life because they want to kill him because of the And He's always doing that. And then he has this showdown with the prophets of Baal. And so he shows up him versus 850 false prophets. And if fire doesn't come from heaven, he is dead. You understand? Like this is a life on the line moment that Elijah stakes everything on. He's not like, you know, I'll pray. And if it happens in the next 10 years, then we'll decide. He's like, no, in this moment, if fire doesn't come down, that's it. And he has this showdown. So this is Elijah thing. And then he prays and rain comes down from heaven. Like this is mountaintop experience type stuff. Like Elijah's at the pinnacle, some cool stuff happening in his life. And then one of the, honestly, I think one of the coolest miracles in the Bible happens at the end of chapter 18. And we miss it all the time. It's the very last verse. One of my favorite miracles in the entire Bible. Watch this. Ahab gets his horses together and hooks them up to his chariot. And he starts heading back to tell Jezebel. And it says, though, that's like Ahab's car. Like he's, he's driving off to go see Jezebel. And it says, Elijah, watch this. Elijah, power of the Lord came, tucking his cloak, because all the men wore dresses back then. I don't know why. And he's tucking his cloak into his belt so it wouldn't flap around. He ran ahead. The spirit of the Lord hits that guy and he outruns the horses. Now, this is amazing. I keep praying God would do this for me because I am slow, everybody. I don't know if you know this. Like, I just keep praying the Lord. I cannot run. If I ever run a sub nine-minute mile again in my life, it will be a miracle of God. I just need God to move in my life. And I keep praying, but it just hadn't happened yet. So Elijah outruns the horses. Can you imagine if you're headed to lunch today and you just, like, look out your window and there I am just, like, running by. Like, 40 miles an hour just coming in. That's neither here nor there. I just keep praying. It just hadn't happened. So here he is. He's tired. He's had this amazing moment and all of us would be tired after all of these things. We would be. And I want you to note that the devil so often attacks us when we are tired. But it's not always when you think it is. At your most exhausted, the, the most exhausted you can be is not the moment you think it is. Because listen, at this moment, Elijah is at the mountaintop spiritually. Like everything. This is not happening when everything has gone wrong. This is when everything has gone right. Elijah is spiritually at the top of his game. Everything is falling into place. God is answering by fire. God is answering by rain. He is outrunning horses. Come on, somebody. This is the moment where everything has gone right when he is the most exhausted. You think about this spiritually in the Bible. Jesus fasts and prayed for 40 days. He would have been at the height spiritually of his life when he fasts and he prays is when the devil tries to come and tempt him to take him out of his destiny. And so it's oftentimes not when we think we are the most vulnerable. I think so many of us are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, to the lies of the devil, because we're just tired. And when we get tired, we get a little bit touchy. Come on, somebody. We just get a little bit. Elijah gets this way. He's got a little bit of conflict in his life. Jot it down if you're taking notes. He's just got a little bit of, he's a little bit emotionally conflicted. So he gets tired. He has this attack because Jezebel sends him a letter like, hey, I don't like you. I'm going to try to kill you. Now think about Elijah. Like, think about this in his life. All of a sudden, these emotions rise up in him and he becomes full of fear. Like, this is not the emotion we would have pegged for this guy. Because he's just shown down 850 prophets. This is not like a timid, shy kind of guy. So when he gets this letter from Jezebel, he should have been like, listen, lady, I get a lot of hate mail. Get in line, right? Like, I just, it doesn't bother me all that much. Like, I'm a prophet in a country that doesn't love the Lord. I, I, this is not a big deal. I understand where this is coming. You can get in line with your hate mail. But he doesn't do that. He gets this letter and suddenly he overreacts. And I don't know about you, but there's something with us when we are really strung out. When we are really like 
physically tired, when we let ourselves get too far to the breaking, there's something that goes up inside of us where things happen that really should not affect us at all, but we blow up at them. Anybody ever found yourself in that? Like if you've ever like get home from work and you like step on one of your kids' Legos, come on somebody, like you just step on it and that little pain shoots through your foot. Anybody ever, just me? Is that the only part? You ever step on You can replace the toy. I don't know what it is, but it's out there and you step on that thing and it's just a little bit of pain that comes. Some of you like, it's a lot of pain, pastor. It's just, a, but it's a little bit that shoots through your foot. If you ever reacted like you like go and find your children wherever they are. And you're like, I'm going to flush all your toys down the toilet and I'm going to burn this house down and I'm going to give you to an orphanage. <laughs> Don't act all high, my. I know all of you have done it. <laughs> all of you reacted. Some of you are like, oh, that's terrible parenting. And you're thinking, thank God he does it too. Thank the Lord he just does. It wasn't that much pain. It wasn't that big of a deal. It shouldn't have elicited that response. But because maybe you're so strung out from that phone call you just got off because there's family strife again. Or maybe boss is breathing down your neck at work and he's watching over everything you're doing and he expects things done yesterday. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're walking through something where you're just like, I I can't deal with this right now. And then you walk in and it happens and you blow up and set off the nuclear bomb on something that really wasn't all that big a deal to begin with. And you're just at your limit and that was the breaking point. You know, I think a lot of us live at the breaking point. I, I think we're just spending every day of our lives at the breaking point. And these little things that honestly should not phase us. This letter should have gone in the trash, just like all the rest of the ones Elijah got sent. But it doesn't. And these emotions rise up inside of him. All these things. If you ever overreact, you ever find yourself like yelling. And in the middle of yelling, you're thinking like, why am I doing this? You ever been in that place where you just let it on? It might be an indicator. You're headed for burnout. It's just time for a break. Chances are it's time for a Sabbath, for a rest. What happens when we get to that place is then we become isolated. So we're not only just like emotionally conflicted. We're not just like, like running out there on ourselves. We then decide we're going to do this thing alone. We get ourselves relationally isolated. It's what happens to Elijah because he's tired. He's not processing things correctly. He's overreacting in his emotions. And so then he takes like the one friend he has in the world. He leaves him in the city and he goes out into the desert. The one relationship he had, this is what happens to us in life. So often we overreact and we start shutting relationships down. Now, the Bible has called us to solitude in some seasons, but solitude and isolation are completely separate things. Solitude we can be called to when we're disconnecting from the world and we're trying to hear the voice of the Lord. Isolation is what we get ourselves into when we should be in relationship. But we start believing the lies and cutting off friendship because we start telling ourselves, well, everybody's against me and nobody really loves me and nobody understands me and God himself couldn't love me. We start lying to ourselves. And so we start cutting off all the relationships that are the things we actually need. The things that would actually sustain us when we're tired and emotionally conflicted, we get rid of because we want to be relationally isolated. The things that we actually need. So Elijah leaves his one friend in the world in the city. He goes out in the desert, finds himself under the bush begging to die. And I just want to tell you, the devil is the author of deception. He's the author of this. He's the father of lies. And the way he deceives us. Listen, the the nature of a deception is that you don't know that you're deceived. You understand that, right? I know that's really deep for this morning. But do you understand? Like when you are deceived, you are the last person to know. And so when you get relationally isolated, there's nobody there to speak truth to the lies that you repeat out of your mouth. There's no friend there to tell you, hey, that's a lie. Everybody is with you. That's a lie that no, that you're trying, you're trying to get yourself down, but I won't let you. When you don't have someone around you, you will go crazy, everybody. 
You will buy 47 cats and move into the house at the end of the neighborhood. Come on, you will... And everybody will talk about it. <laughs> we allow ourselves to get, when we get emotionally frazzled, when we allow ourselves to get tired, then one person will say something. We'll be like, oh my gosh, everybody is attacking me. One person will just like say something. And they don't even mean it. They're not even, they're just going and passing. They don't remember you 10 minutes later, but you take it as like, well, the whole world must be against me. And nobody loves me. And I knew that was, I knew, I knew they were looking at me. And now I'm all alone and there's no one I can trust. And in that place of isolation, just like Elijah we reach a place where we just become hopeless. We become hopeless. We start believing the lie that there's no future for me. There's no way out of this. And the devil will come along and he'll whisper in your ear, your best days are behind you. You're not, you're not useful to anybody. In fact, nobody would, they'd just be better if you didn't come around. You're not making a difference. Nobody needs you. You're not useful. And we start to buy into those lies. And when we do, we start disconnecting. And then we buy into the idea, you know what? Well, my, my small group would probably be better if I just stopped coming around. And they probably don't want me. I'm just a burden on people. Or we start buying into the lie. Well, my church just probably, they don't really need me to be a part of it. And you know what? Even if, if they really knew who I was and they wouldn't even want me to come around anyways. And so they'd kick me out. So I'll just save them the trouble and just stop showing up. And we start buying into the lie. Well, my marriage or my spouse or my, my kids, they just, it'd probably be better if I didn't come around, if I wasn't there. They'd probably be better off. My world would probably, and we, some of us have come to that ultimate place where you believe the total lie. And maybe my world just doesn't need me. Or they'd just be better without me. Listen to me. Your world, your family, and your church needs you. And if you have bought into that lie, chances are some things have gotten out of whack. You've gotten tired. You've gotten emotionally frazzled. You've gotten isolated. Maybe you've given into the hopelessness. But I promise you, I promise you, it's just a path. You see how we walk down this? Where we believe lie after lie until we find ourselves in that place. Just think it would be a better place without me. And we get isolated. And nothing could be further from the truth. The world needed Elijah. And the world and your family needs you. So how do we do, how do we make this thing balanced again? So if you've seen what it means when it gets out of kilter, when it's, it's off balance. We've seen what it looks like in our indicators in our life. And chances are there's just something that's gone wrong. Last couple of months, last couple of years. It's got you in an unhealthy rhythm where you're just tired. And honestly, you're buying into a lot of bad thoughts because you have a lot of bad information. And you're believing lies about your life. And so you're willing to go to that place. And so we got to get some things in alignment. Let's go back to our story because there are some things that happened for Elijah that I think are very biblical. That God does in the life of those who follow him. He does these things in our daily life. We'll pick the story back up in verse 5. So this is Elijah now. He's just made this declaration. He's just come to the end of his rope. And now he says he lays down in the shade of the bush. And he falls asleep and suddenly an angel wakes him up and says, get up and eat. And he wakes up, looks around and by his head was a jar of water and some baked bread. He sat up, he ate and he drank and then he lay down again and went back to sleep. Now you parents of teenagers are like, this is every day of their life. Come on somebody, like wake up, eat, go back to bed. Soon the Lord's angel woke him up again. Come on parents, you just, I feel this verse. He said, woke him up again and said, get up and eat or else you'll be too, too tired for what comes next. Too tired for what comes next. Watch it happen for Elijah. Because he said, you'll be too tired. And then Elijah sat up. He ate the food and he drank the water. And they made him strong enough to walk 40 more days. And at last he reached Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he spent the night there in a cave. First thing I want you to see as we go through this season of, untox of un uncluttering or detoxing our lives, of getting rid of the lies. First thing I want you to do, number one, jot it down, is we need to adjust our pace. 
You got to adjust the pace at which you live. Notice the angel didn't say, here's some food, Elijah. Eat it. And when you rest a little bit, Jezebel is back that way. Come on, somebody. Like when you do this, he didn't send him straight back to what he had burnt out with. I think there's an important point about what God does. Let's just, let me just say, vacations and seasons of rest. We don't have those in order to somehow like shut down and recharge enough that we can just go right back to the pace that burned us out in the first place. Like seasons of rest are not that we do as little as possible in hopes of being able to survive an unhealthy rhythm. That's not what rest is about. And so I don't want to put that lie in your head that I can just recharge enough to enter back into my unhealthy. No, we got to change the pace at which we live. And this has never been more true than it is right now. I meet people all the time. Biggest problem in their life is the pace at which they're living. And we take it as a badge of honor. I'm burning the candles at both ends. I'm going to get something. I'm a mover and a shaker and a do. You are killing yourself living at an unhealthy rhythm of life. So listen, the first thing we have to do is change our pace. Watch it happen for Elijah. This is what change of pace meant for him. Three components God did for him that restored him, that brought him out from under the bush and sent him to the mountain of God. He ate food, he drank water, and he rested. He ate food, he drank water, and he took a nap. Now, some of you, you understand, like you're leading close because you want the deep spiritual truth behind what Elijah did here. Listen, you want to know what the Hebrew is in the original for eating food and drinking water? Listen to me closely. It's eating food and drinking water. Come on, somebody. I know it's really deep. Elijah took a nap because Elijah was tired. And some of you want a spiritual, you want a, a deep spiritual, you want me to, to hash out what the original Greek of the thing for everybody. Some of you are just tired because you have run yourself ragged. Elijah ate food, Elijah ate, drank water, and Elijah took a nap. Some of you are like, some, some of you are like reading this, and you're like, no, no, I need the spiritual, I need the, the deep spiritual. Some of you go to bed at like 3 a.m. and you wake up and you don't understand like why your alarm at 6 is not getting you up for quiet time with God. It must be like a spiritual attack. Like, that just must be what it was. Like, you're spending all night long binge-watching Netflix. Come on, somebody. I'm going to step on every toe of this place. And you can't understand why the alarm clock can't get you out of bed at 4.30 for your quiet time with God. It must be a spiritual demon. That, that snooze button demon just cannot happen. It comes back at 6.30. comes back at 6.40. It's just that thing. It's just infiltrating your life. Listen, some of you, there is a very easy solution. But we don't want it. Angel of the Lord comes. Elijah Elijah to eat some food, drink some water, and then take a nap. Some of you are like, I battle that snooze button demon. I don't set it off till 7 o'clock. Then you got like two minutes to get into traffic and get to work. And so you have no time for breakfast, right? So you show up to work and you spend the rest of the day. And about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're looking for a bat to beat everybody in your world with. You're like, yeah, step in my office. I dare you. Put one toe in my office today and see what happens, Stacy. You're just like on this like road, right? You know Why? It's because the stickers commercials are right, everybody. That's what it's why. <laughs> you are not yourself when you don't eat. <laughs> now, I'm not saying the stickers bar is the solution. But what I am saying is Elijah, if he had not listened to what the angel of God told him to do, there is no way he's making it to the mountain to meet with God. If he didn't listen to what the angel said, because all of a sudden after a little nap and some food and water, his whole life is better. He's going 40 days after a little bit of food and water. We've got to embrace these principles. And the one we violate the most is the principle of rest. It's the one, the one that you can feel like the most go-getter, on the board, get-ahead type of Christian. And the one you are probably violating the most is the principle of rest. You remember the Ten Commandments God gave the nation of Israel? Where he's like, here are the ten, keep these, these are the big ones. Like, you can probably quote them. You ever read that list and see what's like nestled inside of there? Because it's like, don't steal, 
Like, don't lie, don't murder, take a nap. Come on, somebody. Like, it's in there. You think, like, why would, why would it be that important? And then Jesus comes and clarifies it for you. He says, and that one was made for you. Like, that one was, you weren't made so you could follow that one. You weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. It was a gift of God to the Israelites. It was a gift given, this gift of rest. And we throw it away. We're like, I'll do all the rest. I'll do everything else, but forget that one. I just, I just have to do, I can't keep a Sabbath. I can't have any time of rest in my week because I just got to go. Things got to happen. I got to get things to move. And most of us think of it in like an abnormal way. And so we think like if I stopped with that, it would just be, it would be disaster for my life. But the Sabbath is not like you just don't stop moving. The Sabbath is you seize from that which provides your income. You seize from work. And so I don't know what that is. Whatever it is, that is your lifestyle, the thing that you do. And so for some people, it may be like answering emails. For some people, it might be like doing the laundry and making sure the house is kept. For some people, it might be working. It might be whatever it is for you. Whatever that looks like a million different things for people. Whatever it is for you that you need to seize from in order to have an actual rest. You got to give up. Because the devil will come in your ear and he knows that you'll be replaced. You'll go further faster with six out of the seven days if you'll give one to God. We need a Sabbath. And I'm not talking about like come to church and spend all day long singing Kumbaya. I'm talking about like have a spiritual component. But then like have some like hobbies or some things where you spend time with your family or your spouse or whatever it is. that you have a time you actually rest. Some of you are like, that's not rest, Pastor. I'm going to say, we'll have a series on that another time, all right? He just, something that replenishes your soul. Because the devil comes along every time you rest, and he will couch it in Christian terms. Listen, I'm talking to those, you've been saved 150 years, and you're thinking, there's no way I could rest. i got to do this. The devil will come along, and he'll be like, hey, you know that, that company that God gave you? You're, not, you're doing it a disservice if you're not answering emails all day long on Sunday. God gave you that company. Why are you letting it? It's slowing down. People can't work. They need you to respond and they need you to do that. And you're just not, or you remember that idea that God gave that family God gave you to serve. If you're not picking up dirty underwear 24 seven, you're doing them a disservice. So you can't possibly rest. He'll couch it in Christian terms because that's what we fall for. You know, that calling God, that thing he hauled, you know, that thing you just, you just gotta, you can't stop. And you know, it'll be a, it'll be a way to, we get full of guilt and condemnation. And we start working 24-7, violating God's principles, thinking we're stewarding well what God has given us, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it is the height of spiritual arrogance. Because we are telling God, look, I know you have a principle of rest. I know that you've told us for this. I know you gave me the idea for the company, and I know you gave me the gifts to excel, or you gave me the family that I'm supposed to watch over. I know you did all of those things, but I don't know, God, if you actually looked at my schedule, because I am actually pretty important. I'm actually a really big deal, God. And I don't know if you know this, but the universe, you could not run this thing without me 24-7. And so me and God, we're going to get it done. You actually need me. I don't know if you checked your schedule, God, but you actually need me on point every second of every day. So me and God, we're going to get this done. How proud and foolish can we be? Listen, I don't want to step on your toes or hurt your feelings, so maybe I do. Because not a one of us is so important. God needs us 24-7 always be on. There's a reason he told them to rest. There's a reason that this, that seventh day says, God, everything I have comes from your gracious hand anyways. Everything I possess came from you in the morning. I know tomorrow there will be dirty underwear on the floor. I know that's going to happen. I know tomorrow the emails will still be in the inbox. I know tomorrow the things will still be there to put away. Let's just have a day we set aside to rest. Let's actually have a day. We need to get a better pace to life. Second thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. We need a new perspective. New perspective. I love this verse, verse 13, back to our story. Then the voice of the angel, this is the voice of the Lord, comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I just want to pause for a moment and respectfully ask you, 
to ask yourself that question. What am I doing here? I don't mean physically here at church or watching online at your home. I'm saying like in this place in life, like where you are in life. What, how did I get here? Like how did, how did I arrive at this place? Because all of us, you and I have both, we have made our decisions in life and then in turn our decisions have made us. The things we have done, we are the sole culmination of all of the decisions that we have made. And sometimes figuring out where we are takes a little bit of self-reflection. A little bit of self. How did I end up alone in the desert or in the cave? How did I end up where I'm not supposed to be? How did you get here? How did you get here away from your family, isolated? How did you get here emotionally frazzled? What brought you to the breaking point? Because I think we need to reevaluate and Maybe we have to look at our life and think, how did I get here? What decisions did I make that led to this moment? And verse 14, Elijah answers the Lord. It's an amazing answer. He said, Lord God of armies, I have eagerly served you. Watch this. I have, I have eagerly done it all. I've been on a call 24-7. I've done all the things you asked. The Israelites have abandoned your promises. They have torn down your altars. And they executed your prophets. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to take my life. Woe is me. Pity party. He did it under the bush and he's done it in the cave. I'm the only one who's got problems in life, God. I'm glad you showed up for me to pitch my case to you because listen to what I listen what has happened. I am on I'm the only one that listen, he's about to take his life based on bad information. He's having a pity party pouting for himself first in the desert, now in the cave, because he genuinely believes nobody's got his back. He genuinely believes he's already forgotten about the eight hundred and fifty prophets of Baal. Who were, who were killed after the showdown. He's already forgotten about the revival that's breaking out. He's forgotten about the God who answers by fire and the God who answers by rain. And here he is embracing the lie of the enemy. Remember, we get isolated. And we start to buy into the lie. And so he buys into this lie. I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one that serves God. And we start, just like Elijah, we'll buy into that lie. Like, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one in this entire company, oh Lord. Bunch of heathens. Over. I'm the only one in this whole school who believes in that. I'm the only one in my neighborhood. Bunch of them, a bunch of drunks headed for hell. I am the only one. I alone, God, I alone serve you. And God looks at him. Verse 18, here's God's response. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. Here's God's response. I have 7,000 people in Israel whose knees have not knelt to worship and whose mouth have not kissed the idol. I got 7,000. God looks at Elijah. Here's his pity party. And he says, wrong, wrong. You're wrong, Elijah. You're wrong. You're wrong. Elijah's expecting like a pat on the back or maybe an angel with more food, right? And God's like, you are wrong. I'm like, I walked 40 days to this cave to hear God tell me I'm wrong. Come on, somebody. Like, it's just, he says, wrong. You, you're, you are the only one who's wandered out in the desert, Elijah. You're the only one out here having a pity party for yourself in the cave. I don't see anyone else in the cave. I got 7,000 still serving me. They're back in Israel, Elijah. You want to ever go join them? They're, you know, they're serving me over there. I think God is sarcastic sometimes. We got to read these things. I don't know about it. But he's like, there are 7,000. And Elijah's here in the cave having a pity party. And the Lord's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? God knew very well what he's doing there. He's having a pity party for himself. And some of you shut yourself in your prayer closet like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And God's about to come ask, what are you doing here? He begins to set some things right. He's like, listen, Elijah, you're wrong. Not everybody's against you. I've got 7,000 people who want to be your friend. We got people out there. You're the one in the cave. You're the one in the desert, but you're wrong. And he begins to set some things right. Because I think sometimes we get ourselves isolated. 
And like Elijah, we start to believe in these laws. And then we start to say them. And remember, we see it relationally isolated, so there's nobody around you to be like, that's wrong. That's a lie from the devil. You're not actually, that's not actually what's happening. I know in this church even, there are so many people that would love to come around you. You think I'm the only one. There are people who would love to embrace you and be your friend and walk with you through these trials and things. There are people who would love to pick you up and pray for you and be with you. And one of the things we have to do is adjust our perspective. It's a valuable lesson we have to learn. And then for those of you that have maybe walked this journey a little bit further, something maybe we need to learn is we got to adjust our perspective and learn the difference between what we're concerned about and what we're actually responsible for. This is a deep principle I think we need to do because it's a big, big difference. Because listen, in my life, I'm concerned about the direction our nation is headed. I am. I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about what's happening in the Middle East. I'm concerned about Israel. I'm concerned about those things. Really am. But last I checked, there is not a world leader who gives a flip what I have to say about those topics. But then what I'm responsible for, the most amazing woman in the world, that's my wife. What I'm responsible for are my three kids. I'm supposed to protect and help them to hear the voice of God and what God is doing in their life. What I'm responsible for is this church and to help you be all that God has called you to be and to hear his calling on your life. That's what I'm responsible for. And too many of us are giving all of our emotions and our energy to things that we care about, but we have no control over and we have nothing left for the things that we're actually responsible for. And we will give every emotion... And we will give every breaking point and we will give every ounce of strength we have left to things that we have no control over. And we will forget and we will neglect and we will give up on the things that we're actually responsible for. You got to make some lists in your life. We're making decisions based on bad information. We got to understand what am I responsible for? What am I concerned about? And then we got to understand there's no future in our past. Elijah's talking about all these things. They've killed all your prophets. They told down your... He's looking over his shoulder. There is no future in looking at your past. You can't change it anyways, anybody. And let me say it this way. Looking back at your past, both the mistakes and the successes. Too often we get preoccupied with our past. We've got to get a fresh perspective. That's why the Bible says that God is the God of new beginnings. He's the God where his mercies are new every morning. You know why? Because we need them new every morning. He knew that we would need them. Lamentation said every day we get a fresh start. Every day God knows we need it. Hey, stop worrying about things that are outside your control. Stop dwelling on the past. Stop worrying about it. You can't change it. Let's concentrate on what God is leading us to. Because watch what he says to him. Ultimately, we got to adjust our pace. Yes, we have to fix our perspective. So ultimately, we can get a new purpose. You got to renew the purpose that God has put into your life. But if you're staring at your past, you'll never get to where God is leading. You become burnt out and discouraged when you forget why you are doing what you're doing. We got to get a new purpose because all the things we're called to, sometimes we just reduce it down and we forget about the why. Watch this, Elijah. This is what the Lord says to him in the cave. The Lord says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram and anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. and Anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Listen, there's two things I want to say to every person in our church. Look at me. When I say this, you're watching online, you can watch through the camera. You're in this room. Look me in the eyes. God is not finished with your life. God is not finished with your life. He still has purpose and he has a plan for your life. Yeah, we can give God praise for that. He's not because some of us have bought into that lie. 
I don't care how old you are. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God has things for you to do. I don't care what anybody has ever told you. I don't care what any organization or any person has ever written you off. I don't care about that. I don't care how old you are. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has things for you to do. And some of you are young. And the devil is whispering in your ear already. Trying to whisper the absolute lie. That maybe people don't love you and nobody would want you around. Trying to get you to that place where you buy into bad information. Trying to get you to believe in the lie that the world would just be better if you weren't in it. That you have nothing to give, nothing to offer. But I promise you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it is better than anything you could possibly imagine. That God has his hand on you. That God has a purpose for you. And if you will capture it, if you will let God show it to you, it will sustain you through whatever pain or trial or opposition or circumstance comes into your life. If you have that vision, if you let God show you the plan he has for your life, it will sustain you. In Acts chapter 24, the Apostle Paul, he talks about how he's supposed to go to Rome. How God came and told him, you're going to preach my gospel in Rome. Now, Paul didn't know that it would be in chains in a Roman prison writing two-thirds of the New Testament. He didn't know that's what it would look like. All he knew is, I'm called to go to Rome, and so I'm going to Rome. And so he got that little glimpse of what God was calling him to. And so it didn't matter when a venomous snake got and, and bit him on the hand. It didn't matter when people opposed him or they beat him with stripes and lashes. It didn't matter when they imprisoned him. It didn't matter when he was shipwrecked. He's out floating in the ocean thinking, I could float here another month. God said, I'm going to Rome. And so I'm going to Rome. I, I don't care what happens on the way. It will sustain you in the circumstances of life, your purpose. If you could get a glimpse of what Rome looked like, whatever Rome is, doesn't matter how far you feel adrift at sea. It doesn't matter what opposition. doesn't matter what people say about you. You're standing in the promise of what God has called on your life. And you focused on that knowing it's not my time to go yet. Because I haven't accomplished what God has called me to do. I haven't accomplished. God's not done with me because I haven't completed the work. And yet others of you are here. And I was praying about this this morning. Others of you are here and you say, you know what, Pastor? I've gone to Rome. I've been there. I saw it. I called down fire from heaven. I saw everything happen. I, I, I walked it. I walked that path. And now I feel like it's passed me by. I feel like it's passed me by. I feel like I, I don't have any use anymore. I did what I needed to do. Now it's somebody else's. And my heart breaks over that. Because listen to me. This world cannot be saved by an ideology or by an election. Come on, somebody. Because listen, you can take the greatest saint who ever lived and put them in the presidency of this nation. It won't change one thing. The whole Old Testament proves that laws do not change the heart. There is hope for America, but it is found in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can change hearts. He is the only one who can change lives. Listen to me. You are a part of the body of Christ. If there is hope for this world. It is found in the body of Christ. It is found in the message that we preach. And you are a part of it. And not just a part of it. The Bible talks about it. It says a necessary part of it. That you are necessary to what the church is. That God has a plan for you. And I think too many people think, I went to Rome and I called down fire and my time has passed. There's no more use for me. Listen, you are a necessary part of what God is doing in this world. And I could not get the image out of my mind. And I, I pray through the message on Sunday mornings. I go over this and I pray for you guys every Sunday morning. 
throughout the week too, because I know you need it. Come on, somebody. But I pray for you on Sunday morning. I just had the image in my mind of just a couple of soldiers on the front line. One older and experienced, one just starting, but full of fire and zeal. And at some point in the middle of that battle, that older soldier just says, well, you know what? That's it for me. And turns around and leaves that soldier standing alone. The older one who's experienced, who knows where the things are, who knows what's supposed to happen, who knows how things are supposed to go, who's seen this thing happen, called down fire, decides, okay, that's it for me. Now it's yours. And turns around and walks away, leaving them there alone. And it just broke my heart that this is the image sometimes we have of the church. Well, I did what I needed to do, so now it's somebody else's. Good luck to them. But no, you are a necessary part of what God is doing. God has not given up on you. How dare you give up on your life? And God help us. God help us. If some of you who have done great things for God, who have run a great race for God in this moment, decide I'm going to rest on my laurels and let somebody else, somebody else needs to do this, somebody else. God help us if we leave the church alone in this moment because you are blind to the truth that Elijah even missed, that there are still battles to fight. There are still people to train and there are still people to empower and there are leaders to raise up and there are battles for you to be on the front line. There is still a plan God has for your life. Do not give up because you think it's in your past. No, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life and we will never be the church that God has called us to be without the generals who have been through it, battle tested, called fire down from heaven, leaving a legacy and leading the way. It is what we are called to do. What you do matters in this life. And you might be tired, I get that. You might be discouraged, I get that. You might find yourself at the end of it. You might be emotionally frazzled, but listen, your life is not over. Your future is still intact. You just need some rest. You bought into some bad information and you are making your decisions based off of it. Because I want you to know that God loves you. God has a plan for you and the world desperately needs you. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. God, I pray that there would be a shift in our hearts. Father, that we would begin to live with the right rhythm, the right pace of life, God, that we could embrace the right perspective and understand you still have a plan for our life. No matter how young or how old we are, you are watching over us and you have a future for us. God, I pray you would bring hope to every hopeless heart. God, if there is anyone here or anyone watching online who has bought into the ultimate lie that the world would be a better place without them, God, I hope, God, I pray, God, I believe that you would replace that lie with the truth that you love them more than you could possibly imagine. That you have a plan for their life. That the world and their family and this church needs them. Right now, God, I pray, replace the hopelessness with hope. Replace the lies with your truth. Before we go today, some of you are here though and maybe you've bought into that lie and maybe you are a million miles away from God and you find yourself isolated and you find yourself running and you've tried everything you can to make it right but I promise if you are in that place, you know the truth as well as I do that it will not help. All the things you do, they do not work. And maybe you've bought into that lie Maybe it was the lie that drove you away from God. Maybe it was the circumstance or the pain that you walked through. But listen, I don't know what God told you and I don't know what lie you bought into, but listen to me closely. God loves you. God wants you. I don't care if you believe that nobody else ever wanted you. God wants you. And he loves you. 
He has a plan for your life. It's never too late. I don't know where you think you are and I don't know what lies in your head right now trying to say, well, it's too far. It's great for everybody else, but it's too far gone for me. Listen, it is never too late. God wants you. So if you say that's me, if you say, hey, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of buying the lies. I'm tired of doing all these things. I just want to be free. Listen, I promise you, there is freedom for you. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you say, well, who is Jesus to me? The Bible says Jesus is the perfect lamb of God. He came to this world. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send an emissary. Jesus himself came. He lived a life on this earth and he died in our place. So all the sins that we committed, everything we did that would have cast us out, now we are forgiven of because of Jesus. But the Bible says he didn't stay dead. It says he was raised to life so that anyone, anyone, including you, including me, anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That's it. You want to know how you are forgiven and set free. You want to know how you are restored. You want to know how your life is turned around. It's calling on the name of Jesus. And you can do that right now. In fact, you don't even have to wait for me. You can call on the name of Jesus right now. In our church, we have dedicated our lives to telling people this truth. So right now, if you want us to pray that with you, you want us to call in his name with you, that is what we are here for. Because there's not a perfect one of us. All of us have been sinners. All of us have lived that life. All of us have been saved by grace alone. Nothing we have done makes us any more qualified. And so now we live our lives to tell others about that fact. You can call on Jesus. You say, that's me. If you want to pray right now, we would love to pray with you. Church, let's pray. Nobody prays alone. You say, that's me. I want to call on his name right now together. Let's call on him. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sin, all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for our whole church. God, I pray that we would repent. God, of the times that we let our schedule get out of line. Of the times we became tired and susceptible. God, of the times even we've embraced the wrong perspective. I pray, God, you would do a miracle in our heart. God, that we would see life through the proper lens. That we would see the calling and the gift you have placed on us. Lord, that we would not let ourselves get to that place. Where we believe the lies of the enemy. I pray right now, give us a renewed sense of the purpose you have on our life. No matter how young, no matter how old, that we know that you watch over us, that you have a good plan for us. And that the world you have called us to desperately needs us. I pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?